Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Dame Theory Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also even on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And we have a quick shout out for a new Patreon member. Emma, welcome to the club. Not only are we so grateful to have you, but Emma is a fellow K-pop fan and a fellow Stray Kids stan, aka a stay. So I love connecting with more people who are into K-pop. If you ever want to slide into my DMs, any of you, you're welcome to. Which is funny that our podcast has evolved to include K-pop over the course of this journey. As many of you know, I got into K-pop about a year ago. My life has been forever changed. But anywho, if you want to support or find more content from us, you can do so at patreon.com slash name three songs. And with that being said, Sarah, what are we getting into today? Today's episode is definitely an interesting one and one that was spurred because of the loss of somebody in a boy band that I've followed for quite some time. So today we're talking about grief and what grief is like when you are a fan of an artist, when you're a fangirl, etc. Because it's a whole different beast and it's something that I think a lot of us are made to feel guilty about, made to feel weird about because grief feels like such a personal thing and obviously it is, but because it is such a personal thing, you can also grieve people that you don't know personally. And like we talk about a lot, parasocial relationships are super normal and something that most of us have with artists that we follow. So you feel like you know them. So grieving the loss of a person from the earthly plane is very normal and something that I thought would be worth talking about and looking into just like the different ways that fans have mourned artists throughout time from artists who have like very clear fangirl followings like Elvis to artists like Kurt Cobain and David Bowie and Amy Winehouse and the list goes on. But on top of all of that, there's also like this other level of grief when it comes to being a fan of musicians and musical artists, which is when a band breaks up or a band goes on hiatus or a band just kind of disappears from the ether without any word to their followers. Looking at you, Catfish and the Bottleman fans. <laughs> but yeah, so it's definitely something that intrinsically like has levels and it's something that I think is worthy to talk about and discuss because again it's something that people are made to feel weird about made to feel wonky about when it's completely normal as a human to grieve something but it's also like a weird personal journey to grieve a group when the members still exist and they still do things in their own right whether that be they went on to solo careers or they went into acting or whatever the case is like still uh, remained being accessible to their fan base in one way or another post leaving the group that they were in or stopping being a singer or whatever the case is so it's a different type of grief but like grief always manifests in the same 
kind of ways. Also, just a perfect pop culture example of this is if you guys have ever seen Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, the 2004 cultural reset of a movie starring (laughs) Lindsay Lohan. Personal favorite of mine, but in the intro to this movie, her favorite band breaks up and she's literally mourning them at school. Like, she has a full, like, black veil. She's handing out, like, (laughs) balloons and, like, she's being so dramatic, but it was just very real and very cool to see something like that represented in pop culture. And I also think the other thing with grieving whether it is a death or even just like a hiatus or like a band member leaving is that sometimes like certain forms of grief aren't like recognized or like you you're made to feel like you're not allowed to grieve for certain things like even for example like having a fallout with like a best friend and it's like that person was a part of your life for a long time but like nobody really talks about like grieving the loss of a best friend just like mourning like the loss of that friendship and so I feel like sometimes these things can be like equated in that field where people try to say like your feelings aren't valid but we're here to tell you that your feelings are very valid Yeah, 100%. And I mean, just to level the playing field here a little bit and make you guys know, again, just how much like this topic, again, like many of the topics we discuss in this podcast have like personally affected Jenna and myself. I mean, like I said, at the start of this episode, I was a really big fan of The Wanted. I got to interview them when they first came to America to like promote their music. And I thankfully, like luckily got to speak with them and meet them. And they were a very lovely group of of guys and Tom Parker, who was one of the five members of that group, sadly passed away on my birthday, which was rude. Um, (laughs) Completely put a bit of a spanner in the mix for that day of mine. Um, But he had been battling with terminal brain cancer for, I think, two or three years. And he was very vocal and public with his journey of dealing with cancer and going through all of the treatment for it and all that they were doing to try and make it so that it wasn't terminal cancer. I mean, when he was diagnosed, he was given six months. So the fact that he was that he lived for wow. two or three years after that is incredible. But it was heartbreaking. And like, I knew it was going to be heartbreaking. But it's a very weird watching somebody who seemingly was like doing okay even though you know that they're ill like very quickly decline but I knew like the wanted got back together they had broken up like ages ago which like at the time I was just like oh it's a boy band boy bands break up it's not a big deal because it wasn't in the same vein as like One Direction going on hiatus like the wanted guys clearly were still friends it was just kind of like we're old like we're older like we want to go do whatever we want to go do and so once they announced that they were getting back together I was kind of like okay they were coming to terms with the fact that Tom's gonna die and they want to do something like really lovely for him and unfortunately like when the tour started Tom missed like the first couple dates because like his cancer like really wasn't doing well I literally feel like I'm gonna start crying right now like it's so hard like it's so hard to talk about um And, like, the first video when he came back, like, he was sitting, like, on a throne on the stage. And so it was just, like, this heartbreaking but beautiful, like, imagery of, like, he clearly wasn't well enough to be being his, like, jovial self on stage. And, like, the guys would, like, kneel next to him and, like, sit with him on the stage. And so it's really sad. 
sad. Oh my god. And it was just like really hard to watch because he was always like the jokester and like the fun one of the group. And it's like so crazy to just like watch somebody that you've met once or like maybe don't even know or whatever the case is. And like you just so personally like feel the love in the room for them for like even when you're not in the room just like watching the videos you can feel it from the fans and from the group and it was just really magical to know that they like the fans and the other guys in the band like gave that to him and that he got to have that but like the saddest thing about all of it is like they have the song called gold forever which I'm pretty sure would have been about like a relationship whatever the case is but they kind of repurposed it to be about Tom so basically the lyrics to the chorus are is we're standing in a light that won't fade tomorrow's coming but this won't change because some days stay gold forever the memory of being here with you is what I'm going to take my life through because some days stay gold forever and it's just like it like goes on to be like promise me you'll stay the way you are keep the fire alive and stay young at heart when the storm feels like it could blow out remember you got me and I got you and it's just like I'm like oh my god sorry guys oh my god this is gonna be a really hard episode to do we volunteered to do this (laughs) we're already crying Uh, but like when you'd watch the live videos of it and I'll like link some in the show notes if you guys also want to sob over something you don't know like you can clearly like the boys are singing it to him and it's just like sorry and it's like it's just really sad but beautiful and like happy at the same time and yeah so I mean it's it's just like it's one of those things where like I said it's like it feels weird like I'm laughing about crying about somebody passing away who left behind like a wife and two very young kids but it's just because it feels weird when like you don't really know somebody but you know so much about them because of how much like of a public figure they were and like following their artistry and it's just like there have been other actors and musicians and people that I liked that have passed away but this one like really really hit me and comparing this to like a hiatus that really affected me which was like McFly kind of just stopping with no real announcement uh which really just fucked with me for a while and it was that was like a that was like a breakup with a boyfriend but the boyfriend ghosted me And so I rebounded with One Direction and I would just get mad that One Direction wasn't McFly. So like Motion in the Ocean was like their last good album from their fame time. And then four years passed and they released this album called Above the Noise, which was horrible. And I mean, people might have different thoughts, but me and most of my friends all were like, this is bad. It was like techno pop. It was shit. And then a real album didn't come out again until like 2020. So we really, I mean, they, they like combined it with Busted to make the super group Mick Busted. But like, I always, like, I like Busted as like a, a lone thing, but Busted and McFly, I think were always tied to each other because of James Bourne and Tom Fletcher's connection and friendship. But I always thought that Busted did kind of more sexy stuff where McFly was kind of like chill and okay for kids <laughs> and just like happy and so it was always weird when they combined because they kind of leaned in a more busted direction than a McFly direction and so I tried to like it and I just like couldn't and I was just angry all the time so two forms of grief sadness and joy over somebody's life with Tom Parker passing away and anger when McFly did what they did to me <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Jenna, do you have any examples of like your personal journey with grieving an artist or a group? Yeah, I mean, it's really weird kind of like looking back and reflecting because I feel like most groups that I liked, like by time they were kind of like taking a break or something, I was far enough away from them that it didn't personally hurt. Like even with One Direction, like Zayn leaving, I felt like we all saw that coming. And then I just felt like everyone knew they had a five album contract. They finished the fifth album. I just felt like we knew the hiatus was coming also. So I don't remember being very upset about either. I do remember viscerally crying the time when I was like two blocks away from meeting Harry Styles and I did not meet Harry Styles and I cried for about three days straight and that is (laughs) not a joke at all um I was 21 so nope I was 19 I was 19 folks so that was like a really big thing for me but as I mentioned in the intro like I got into k-pop a year ago and I got in through like BTS and like their label Hybe through like some of their groups but I started like learning more about kind of like the history k-pop and like groups that were like are really important in k-pop history and there's this one group called shiny and it's a five-member band they debuted in 2008 and this group was like a cultural reset within k-pop like so many idols now who have debuted since like they looked up to shiny and like shiny was like the golden thing that like everyone loved them so much and Back in 2017, one of their members died by suicide, and I knew this kind of had happened. I knew there were some suicides within K-pop, because I remember them happening kind of, like, at the time, even though I wasn't really paying attention. And so, when I was, like, reading through the history and just, like, what happened, I was just so overcome with emotion and crying, and, like, every time I read his story, like, I get really upset, even though, like, I didn't have a parasocial relationship with this person, but I think it felt like... Because he had a suicide note, basically, that was released, and you could tell how much pain he was going through, and it's like every day he was going on stage and putting on a smile and trying to act normal for the fans and everything, and he was just, like, not okay and, like, was dealing with depression and, like, a lot of, like, mental illness, and so... It was very real. It was very scary. Like, my heart is racing right now just talking about it. And I think part of it is, like, imagining that happening to someone that I do support and that I do stand. And also just certain people in my life that I know have struggled with depression on a very scary and a very real level. And I think that's why, like, every time... I read about his story I like I said I literally just saw because even thinking about the members the other members like moving on beyond that and like they had tour dates in Japan scheduled for like two months after this happened and they were like do we even do the tour like he was like one of their main vocalists like this man was literally a shining star on stage and so it's like thinking about having to go and perform without somebody that's like like been a key part of like your whole life they event they did decide to do it because his mother talked to them and he was like I really think you guys should do it like he would want you to perform all this stuff and so then I've like watched videos of their performance and it's like they have a solo mic there and they're all standing in line and they're all trying not to cry and even just going back and like kind of refreshing on some of this stuff for this episode I even found more stuff that I hadn't before like other members talking about their experience with doing interviews and doing therapy and stuff like that um so that's like my most recent but also like most kind of like impactful moment it's like I I didn't even experience this firsthand but like reading about it it just feels like so close to home yeah I think like obviously it's hard when anybody passes away but I think when they're so young and 
they weren't sick so there wasn't like the preparation sort of thing where you can like grieve in real time like with them that's really hard but it's also just like hard when you're a fan to then go see that group to continue supporting them because they want to continue making music and it can be very jarring and something that you might think will help you heal and it might just make it worse and make it harder I mean speaking just from another thing so there's this screamo band called We Came As Romans and uh, one of the members who was like the one who sang rather than the screamer he passed away in 2019 at the age of 28 due to an accidental drug overdose and it was just like really jarring and it was a band that I had interviewed quite so many times and photographed a lot and so it's again one of those things where I was a fan of their music but I also knew them and I'd like hung out with them before and so it was like that weird thing where it's like you're not like your acquaintances and I feel like it's always weird like even in real life when an acquaintance passes away because you don't really know how to react but it's even weirder when it's like an acquaintance you kind of have a parasocial relationship with because you like their music and like you've been seeing them grow as an artist and a person and so for a while I think I'm not positive but I'm pretty sure that they've gotten a new singer since but for a while they would just kind of have Kyle singing so the band would perform but like his vocals would be kind of like piped into the venue and I saw them once after he passed away and I was not like emotionally prepared for that it was just like a very like out of body experience and like clearly it was something that they had like thought about and discussed for like quite some time but it's always so it's so weird and it's like hard to watch people who like you want to comfort but like you don't know them yeah so like what are you gonna what are you gonna do you know I think also even like whether or not you were a super fan or a casual fan or, like, you would cross paths with them, I don't think, like, none of it makes it any easier, you know? Because it's, like, still yeah. that you understand what it's like to be a fan and to think that it would happen to somebody that, like, you have, like, a direct tie to or direct relationship with is very scary. Yeah, definitely. That was why when we were looking into the psychology behind like grieving and grief and all that stuff, it was an eye-opening research day reading about the psychology behind grief. Because I mean, everybody usually, I mean, if you have lost somebody in your, your life, you're aware of like the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And a lot of times you don't necessarily go through them in that exact order. You don't necessarily have all five stages of grief. Some people never even really have acceptance of the loss of somebody that they care about. And I think that An example that we'll talk about in a little bit as well is kind of like those fans of Kurt Cobain who decided to also take their own lives in the way that he did. It's that same sort of thing of being like, if he couldn't survive under the circumstances, then how am I supposed to? It's just not accepting this sort of thing. And so, I mean, looking into the different ways you can feel these five stages of grief, which was coined... In 1969 by psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in case you guys cared. Which I think is funny. That's something that I feel like would have existed before. Like way longer than 1969. But I guess, you know, grief is a hard thing to study, I feel like. Because everybody has experienced it in one way or another. And it's definitely like, I don't know. Grief is a a weird emotion that can hit you at any time. Like, not just right when the event happens or whatever the case is. So 
there is this article on helpguide.org by Melinda Smith, M.A., Lawrence Robinson, and Jean Siegel, Ph.D., in 2021, called Coping with Grief and Loss. And in this article, they write, Inevitably, the grieving process takes time. Healing happens gradually. It can't be forced or hurried, and there is no normal timetable for grieving. Some people start to feel better in weeks or months. For others, the grieving process is measured in years. Whatever your grief experience, it's important to be patient with yourself and allow the process to naturally unfold. And I felt like that point was like really important to like keep in your mind, especially when it comes to an artist, because I feel like that grief is something that can visit you in very different ways than like grief over the passing of a loved one or the end of a relationship or whatever the case is, because when it comes to those sort of things, you can choose to avoid photos or whatever the case is. But when it comes to music and if it's an artist who makes you happy and brings you joy or whatever the case is, like it's hard to avoid that, especially when music takes up so much of your time and energy like it would for us or other people listening to this podcast, you know? So it's definitely something where that grief is always going to be kind of floating around. And while you may have like accepted that the group broke up or that somebody passed away, it still always feels like another sharp pain every time one of those songs come on. You're like, oh, I'm never going to experience this in the same way again. Yeah, I mean, also just made me think about like the way we interact with music, like pretty much is for happiness. Like, yes, you can feel you can feel other emotions while listening to music, but like it's like an escape. It's like something to soothe you, to calm your mind, to celebrate with, to cry with. Like, it's such an intimate thing. But for a lot of people, especially if you fall into the stand category of things, you are deriving happiness from this thing or from going to shows, from going to shows with your best friends. And like, you have so many amazing memories associated with that. And so it's entirely understandable, even if we're just talking about like a hiatus or a breakup, it's entirely understandable to be mourning that because it's like, this was the thing that kept you going for so many years. Like, this is the thing that brought you so much happiness and so much light into your life and you have so many good memories around and suddenly it feels like it's gone. And it's like, you're always going to have those memories, but like, that doesn't discount the fact that like, you're allowed to feel sad about this same thing not happening again with the same group of people in the same band. And I mean, thankfully we live in this time where being a fangirl is more of like a focal point of discussion. It's more normalized. People are more aware of the fact that loving an artist can take up so much emotional capacity and so much like of your heart and soul. So it's so much easier to find fellow like-minded people who feel the same way, whether that be about the same artist or different artists. So when you are grieving you have people who understand that grief in a way that they might not have like years ago prior to like fangirl them being such a accepted (laughs) way of life that like going and looking at like a website where they give you coping mechanisms or whatever the case is about grief when it comes to like the loss of a loved one like you can implement those coping tactics to your experience grieving over the loss of somebody in a band that you really love 
loved or even just a breakup of a band that you really love. So also in this help.org article, I just thought that this might be helpful for anybody who might be just like going through something is that they kind of gave some pointers of like how to cope with this sort of grief, which I feel like is important to remember that like you can talk to people about these things and that's what's so important and what they really acknowledge is like it's important to acknowledge your pain and like accept that your grief can feel different to like your friend's grief so never make your friends feel worse for like grieving in a different way because I know that a lot of us reacted differently like when One Direction went on hiatus and some of us had friends who reacted a lot stronger than others and maybe you were just like oh come on it's 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 just a boy band but like you also were sad so it's just important to remember that like you might feel different than your friends do or you might unexpectedly not feel anything so the two points of this like of their like coping mechanisms that I thought were like really relevant were the seek face-to-face support from people who care about you which I feel like is that same sort of thing of when fans for the wanted were all kind of grieving the expected loss of Tom and going to those concerts and kind of having that time together with him and with each other and so sometimes bands have like whoa we're breaking up tours or sometimes they have like open access for fans to funerals or whatever the case is like don't feel guilty wanting to partake in those sorts of things that are set up specifically for you because people are acknowledging that your grief is real and then the other one is to support yourself emotionally by taking care of yourself physically which is just remember to drink lots of water and eat no matter what's going on guys Also, a reoccurring theme I think we're going to see as we go through this episode is, like you just mentioned, like, seek face-to-face community, essentially, and that's, like, the commonality through all of these is that whether it was online or in person, people came together to be together, to share their feelings together, and to celebrate together. So that's, like, a huge aspect of all of this is, like, the community within it. And we also have another article in the New York Times by Kelly Glass in 2019 called How to Help a Teenager Handle the Death of an Idol. And they talked to Yana De Cristofaro, who's a community response program coordinator of the Dougie Center, a national center for grieving children and families. And so Yana says generally when it comes to grief, particularly with teens, the impulse for the support person is to try and make them feel better but by jumping in and attempting to assuage the grief what we really are communicating is that their grief makes us uncomfortable and so she goes on to say that when a star dies who's around the same age it can bring up a lot of thoughts about mortality and I think it's interesting that they're talking specifically about teenagers handling the death of an idol because also in this article they mention like Juice World and Mac Miller and Little Peep who are rappers who passed away all very recently and probably all have like a young teen audience and so it's one of those things where it's like for teenagers especially they're probably a lot closer to this because as we know sometimes the world tries to trick you that as an adult you can't be a fan of anything so in some ways this is like a lot more intense for teenagers they're also like figuring out the world and so when something like this happens which I imagine experiencing something like this as a teenager leaves a really big mark on you throughout your life Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Make on your happy price, price line. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I think also for a lot of teenagers, that can be their first real memory of experiencing death. I mean, it really depends like what's going on, obviously in your family or whatever. But I mean, most people that I know, either their grandparents are still alive or they lost their grandparents when they were quite young. So they didn't really know how to react properly because they were so little when they lost that type of close family member and so being a teenager you honestly would be lucky to have like your first memory of grief being that of a celebrity because there's going to be a lot of your friends being there grieving with you and it's not necessarily somebody close and personal to you or like you have to deal with all the other grief going around but at the same time it's that thing where when somebody who is so young and is a public figure passes away a lot of the times it's due to something quite tragic and so that can be something that's really hard to cope with because teens are trying to figure out their lives and sometimes they might be experimenting with drugs and alcohol and whatever the case is and seeing somebody that you look up to passing away from overdosing on something like that that you might have either never heard of or you might have thought was just like a recreational drug or whatever the case is that can be really jarring and really scary and like if your family are asking too many questions or trying to turn it into a learning type of moment rather than just understanding that you're grieving it can push you in a direction that they're not meaning to push you in and so I think that's also just a good reminder to older listeners and to like talk to your parents about as well is just that thing of like if you have a young relative or you have a kid or whatever the case is and they are grieving somebody who was lost in a very tragic way it's like you need to remember that their grief is okay even if the way that the person died was like something that they probably shouldn't have been doing because it's more important to be supportive of grieving that loss than to be like well they shouldn't have been doing heroin anyway and it's like no shit they shouldn't have been doing heroin that's not the problem right now the problem is is that something bad happened to them yeah and i think that that can apply to everyone really too because some people will try to diminish like that feeling of like a celebrity no matter what age you are so we also have another article from the washington post by angela hopped in 2020 and said why it may feel strange to mourn a celebrity you never met here's why and so angela writes grieving the loss of a public figure seems like it should be different than grieving of a loved one we might feel selfish or like we don't have the right to mourn someone who was in essence a stranger publicly expressing our grief can feel awkward and even over dramatic or unfair to the person's real life friends and family those around us might dismiss or minimize our anguish or brush it aside as unwarranted. Not knowing someone in person doesn't preclude us from grieving for them and not acknowledging how we feel can be more harmful. I think that this point is really necessary to remember that like it's normal to feel like oh uh, people are gonna judge me or like it's not like whatever because 
I don't know them and like the person's real family and friends are grieving. But I also think it's really important to remember that like most of the time when artists pass away, like their family goes and does something to like inform the fans to let the fans know what happened because they know that like their son or daughter or their husband or wife or whatever the case is like wasn't just theirs they shared them with thousands or millions of people who love them just as much but in obviously a different way and like examples of this are like when the news of Amy Winehouse passing away came out through news channels Amy Winehouse's parents like essentially did a press conference they like met their her fans outside and were like yeah unfortunately like amy has passed away similarly with tom parker from the wanted passing away like his wife kelsey posted on instagram to inform everybody that tom had passed and then they made a part of his funeral accessible to fans so that like his fans could feel included which I think is just really beautiful because like the whole thing with the wanted was that they had like a very close beautiful relationship with their fans and I think it was really incredible for like Kelsey his wife and like somebody who he had been in a relationship with a very long time sharing that grief and like being aware that while her grief was very personal to her that like his fans are also grieving and like feeling a very personal loss and so I think that there are a lot of really good examples to kind of squash any ill feelings you might have towards mourning somebody that you don't know because so many people's family and loved ones are like yeah this grief is not just it's honestly insane to me that anyone would try to diminish this i don't know like just having this conversation it's so like clear as day to me to us you know and i have to wonder if it comes back to the idea that supporting things to this level or like having a parasocial relationship with somebody is seen as silly and not real and all of those things Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And Angela in this Washington Post article also spoke with psychologist Robert A. Niemeyer, who directs the Portland Institute for Loss and Transition. And he said, grief is not a matter of kinship, it's a matter of attachment. And we're quite capable of attaching to human beings, most particularly, but also to animals, things, and conditions of the world. When all of these are lost, we can experience very significant grief. This is no less true when we're speaking about someone we never met personally. And I feel like that is something a lot of us are feeling right now because what the fucking Supreme Court did. So we're all very aware that like grief and loss and mourning can take place due to multiple things, multiple levels of existing as a human being and like what affects you personally or not. And so I think that it's just really important to remember that again it's it's not about blood relation or whatever the case is it's about your attachment to something whether that is a person or a thing or your human rights so i think that it's just yeah i mean i don't know i feel like i'm lecturing y'all about grief but i think it's just important to remember that your attachment to a person who you don't know is valid and there's nothing wrong with it and it's just it's just always important to remember that and remember that no matter how weird it might feel that people are reaching out to you when somebody that they know that you admire dies or when an announcement of a band's breakup or hiatus comes out and they know that you love that band that yeah. just means that your friends love you yeah. and they're they're thinking about you and they know that you have that connection to that person or thing and i think most of you if you've been with us for a while you probably already know this and have this mentality, but if they don't support you in grieving something like this, then maybe they shouldn't be your friend. 
Maybe you need a little bit yes. more distance between y'all. Yes, definitely. So looking at some examples through history of seeing musicians pass away, Elvis, known as one of the very first rock stars, rock and roll artists, as we know, he did steal music from black people, but that does not discount the fact that he was very famous. <laughs> so and very loved. Yes, by lots very of screaming beloved. girls. Mm, yeah, really one of our first examples of somebody who had fangirls, at least in modern times. And because Elvis is so famous and there's so much history on him, a lot has been written and actually very lucky to find this experience documented so well like journalists and writers out there really doing their jobs because Sarah found an article in Variety by Chris Morris in 2017 called Screaming, Fainting, Unplugged Jukeboxes, How Memphis and Media Reacted to Elvis's Death and like honestly I'm about to share the details with you but just like having this in written history is like incredible to be able to like yeah. look back and remember these things because this is like so important and was such an impactful thing in so many people's lives and in and in history in general that it's really cool that there's written record of all this. The really interesting thing about Elvis's passing is that Elvis passed away suddenly at the age of 42 due to a lethal combination of prescription drugs. And so 42 is like way past Elvis's prime. Obviously, he was still a musician, a much loved musician. But as a lot of people know, he was being very unhealthy with his his body. He was partaking in lots of prescription drugs and just like not really treating himself that well. And so this isn't like him dying at the height of like his fangirl fame or whatever the case is. But it was as if the world exploded and the fact that there is writing that we can recall for somebody to write an article in 2017 looking back at how like the media and the world reacted to Elvis's passing way past his like prime quote unquote I think is just really interesting and just goes to show and prove like how much of a lasting impression he made on like the people of America specifically. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So Chris Morris talks to several journalists who went like on the grounds to cover this. One of them being Larry Booser from the Memphis Commercial Appeal, which was the city's morning paper. And he has a quote here that says, my managing editor told me you will never cover a bigger story in your life. You might cover something more important, but you'll never cover a bigger story. And he's always been right. And then he also talks to Robert Hilborn, who was a Los Angeles Times pop music critic and avowed Elvis fan who talked about how he raced into the paper and booked an immediate plane ticket to go to Memphis to also be there in person and experience this. And so we have a lot of great quotes here from the journalist Robert Hilburn. He says, It was just overwhelming, the turnout. It was like a member of the family died. That's what struck me, the depth of the emotion. It was a local boy. He didn't move to New York or LA. He had a house out here. He lived in Graceland. He lived in Memphis. He stayed in his hometown. And then he goes on to talk about his experience, like talking to fans. He says, my God, you couldn't walk five feet without getting another anecdote or another angle. It was there. You didn't have to dig for it. I went across the street to a cafe just to talk to some people, but I noticed the jukebox was unplugged. The guy said it was too painful. People were crying. Wherever you stepped, it just came at you. You had to push people away who wanted to talk. And then he says, for Memphis, this was it. This was like the president of the United States for them. And I'm like, that just paints like such 
a clear picture of the impact of like I'm sure a lot of people like locals but also people traveling from all over the nation just as this reporter did to be there to go in person to mourn together as a community in person to experience it together yeah that just goes to show how much somebody who you don't know personally can affect your life that people were like clamoring to speak to this reporter just to tell him about their personal experience and relationship with Elvis Presley and I feel like that just says so much about his artistry like no matter what he did just like he he had a power over people and I feel like that's very clear from any article you read about him ever or any video you see of just like the effect that Elvis had over people and I just think that it's so moving and crazy that one person so many years after the fact of like their really big like fame time still had that hold over people that they were traveling from all over the globe to go to Memphis to be in his home to mourn with fellow fans yeah yeah, absolutely. And so Chris Morris also talks to a Peter Girlnick, who's an author of a definitive two-volume pressing biography. And so Peter says, I've seen people come together from far-flung corners of the country and the world and recognize each other, see each other for the first time since last year, recognize in these people that they've seen someone with whom they share a common bond. People have denigrated this by saying it's like a religion, but I don't think that's what it is at all. It's a community, and it's a community in a world in which we've seen the disintegration of community that sticks together and that continues to have real meaning for them. And this is this is what you were saying earlier about like people coming face to face with each other to like mourn together. And I think yeah. it's both a mourning and a celebration because it's like in mourning, you are celebrating all of the amazing times and all of the amazing memories that you have together. But I do also think it's interesting that like while Elvis did have screaming fangirls so many of these like journalists and historians that they're quoting from are men and in that way kind of gives it more credibility true true but I think also the whole Elvis and Graceland thing people still do like pilgrimages to Graceland to be in the place that Elvis Presley lived and called home and to like feel close to him And it's the same thing with Amy Winehouse. Like, people still go to the pubs in Camden that she would frequent, and there's a statue of her in Camden, and there's a plaque outside of her home that she lived in there. And fans will still make pilgrimages to these places to celebrate her life and to mourn her. And there's, like, lots of artists that have that, you know, where, where people know where they grew up, and they knew where they lived, and they knew where they would frequent, and, like, what diners they liked, or whatever the case is. And people will kind of go on vacations just to feel close to an artist that they never got to feel close to whether that is that they became a fan after they passed away or they were a fan during that time but they didn't live in the same country as them and so they could they were too young or too poor or whatever the case is to have visited at that time they'll make whole trips to pay respect and to feel closer to this artist that really affected their lives and I think in a lot of ways it's really beautiful because you can have this moment where you'll go somewhere and there will be other people doing the same thing as you and there'll be something in the air like something in their vibe where you know and you can wind up spending a day or an evening or whatever the case is with somebody who is of the same mindset as you who's also grieving that artist still no matter how many years later it may be and I think that that's really beautiful that somebody can continue to bring people together yeah 
even after they've left the earthly plane, so to speak, <laughs> and that they can leave behind such a legacy in that way. Yeah. That's separate from like their familial sort of legacy, because obviously like the stories that Amy Winehouse's or Elvis Presley or Kurt Cobain's family and friends have and share are obviously going to be different to the stories that fans have and share, but they all hold meaning and they all are important. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, people still do pilgrimage type vacations for living artists. Like, yeah, you know, there's, of course, there's like a million Beatles tours, but just speaking from like personal experience of BTS, like there's a very famous restaurant, like Korean restaurant in LA because BTS went there and said it was their favorite restaurant. <laughs> and so anytime you try to go there, there's like a three hour wait because it's so popular. And it's just that the need to be close to that person or that community. And it's kind of like, community congregating in spaces that they know are safe or that they know where others belong and like you're just saying like you might end up meeting someone else who's going through the same thing as you I think that's really cool and really special and like you're saying it's like that doesn't stop just because somebody has passed like that community is still there yeah and a big juxtaposition from Elvis passing away at 42 obviously would be Kurt Cobain passing away at 27 kind of at the prime of his life in his career, but obviously not the prime of his life because he was very depressed and very unhappy in the grand scheme of things. But to a lot of his fans or to like onlookers or whatever, they're all like, your band's taking off. Like you have money, you have a new kid, you have this wife that you love, whatever the case is. Like, why couldn't you have just fucked up? Which is a lot of what, like... (laughs) These articles kind of upset me because a lot of people kind of, while they were mourning, they also seem to be judging. And when it comes to suicide, I know it could have been murder, whatever. That should never be the case. And so we luckily had access to a lot of articles from 1994 about this happening. So they actually were from like when he took his life. So there was an LA Times article written in April 1994 following his death by Carla Hall and Eileen Cho. It's called Nirvana Fans Despair at Singer's Death. And so it's like a reactions sort of article. And so they went to a couple record stores in LA to get quotes from music fans to find out how they were feeling. And so one thing that I thought really was kind of like harken back to what I was talking about earlier about like when teenagers lose an artist that they love and they're a young person who dies tragically is they went to the Virgin Megastore in Costa Mesa and they spoke with a fan called Sean Zebio who said his music touched lots of people it got me through my own stuff This is the first band I ever had somebody die on me. He was a spokesperson for our generation. He represented what we all feel in our lives, but he lived it. This is genuinely the only like positive quote in this whole article, really, because people were kind of being a bit judgy about the way that Kurt passed. But I think that that quote is like very relatable because it's the first person in a band who passed away that this person enjoyed and it was a person that they felt was really speaking for himself and his fellow music lovers who really was like on the pulse of like the way forward and I'm unsure of like what the goal had been like in regards to the quotes just based off of the quotes that they put into this article yeah of like if they were trying to get people to say outlandish things or if they were trying to get people to say positive things or whatever the case is because the other another quote that they have is from a 
the 24 year old supervisor of Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard named Jody Wilson, who said, I'm so disappointed in him. I think it's a very bad example to set. I know life gets bad, but not this bad. And he had the power and the money to disappear and take care of himself. Oh, no. Just think if some poor kid is sad and puts on a Nirvana album and thinks, hey, if he did it, which to be fair, that did happen. Like there definitely was a rise in suicides in similar manner after Kurt's passing. But I wonder how Judy Wilson feels about giving this quote now. Well, okay. I mean, we do have to remember that mental health and suicide being related to mental health was not talked about in the same light that it's talked about today. Okay, so true, it makes true. it makes sense that in 1994 people had a lot of like shame and disapproval of suicide. Like it makes sense that people were not sympathetic with it. And he even detailed this in his letter. Like he was not having an easy time. Like he was going through a lot of really real struggles. And I think for people to say like, oh, but like you have money. So like you don't have any problems. Like That's literally not how it works. Like just because you have money does not mean you do not have mental illness. Number one. Number two, if you've had mental illness for a while and like, let's say, before getting famous, he didn't have the resources or even the education to seek help because as we said, this is 1994, not being talked about as much. And then suddenly you get famous and you do have like the resources. Sometimes you are not like physically able to seek help. Like that's how bad it can be for some people. And so suicide and blaming, never a good combination. Never do that. Just don't like, let's not. But I do think it was interesting, as you said, like, you know, what was the goal of this article? It's like, this is kind of a screenshot of the sentiment at the time. You know, it's like, there were some people who were like, he was so important. Like, this is really, you know, going to impact me a lot. There was some people who said, I'm disappointed. They also talked to like a radio DJ who was telling listeners to call for help instead of, you know, following in Cobain's steps. There was another floor manager at the Virgin Megastore who's talking about, like, not wanting to glamorize these things, although he knows that more people are going to rush to the store to buy products from Nirvana. So I think it's kind of, like, an interesting snapshot of the time of, like, what was happening and, like, the different ways that people were reacting around this. Because, like, clearly from the radio DJ, at least somebody was advocating to, like, seek help. Yeah, Definitely. And I feel like that was the thing that really stuck out to me is that this DJ for KROQ had kind of the same thought that the supervisor of Tower Records had, which is like depressed teens are going to see this and be like, if he couldn't hack it, then I'm not going to hack it. Yeah. And so I feel like that mindset of like, hey, just call up the radio station. We're your friends is obviously a way better mindset of things. But I think it just is interesting, like the different the, the different responses to the death of Elvis who had an accidental overdose, which is a tragic way to die, and Kurt Cobain, who took his own life, who only months earlier had also had an accidental overdose. So a lot of people were kind of, like, expecting that he could pass at any time. Yeah. I think it's just an interesting, like, juxtaposition of it all. And to, to that point, exactly, is the fact that with suicide being a decision, just the two ways these are talked about, like overdose being accidental and suicide being a decision, like they're literally disrespecting it. Like they're saying that this this type of death is not as valid and like not as respectful in that way. And that's, I, yeah. I just realized that that's kind of 
messing me up a little bit. So we do have another article in LA Times from 1994 by Jay Fielden titled Cobain, Generation's Failed Effort to Redefine Success. And Jay writes, the suicide of a pop icon is not the usual initiation into generationhood. It's not war or encompassing political or social movement. It's not a convergence on a certain philosophy of life, but it seems major. Nirvana fans are not. As individuals, we are a generation inextricably tied up with the news of his death. Cobain was one of the first to venture forth and succeed by common definition of that term. Though he still frequented 7-Elevens for meals, he had all the trappings of a partner at Goldman Sachs. The miserable end to his life is proof that the idea of success for many of us have to be adjusted. And so this is this is the thing I was just saying, like, just because you have money doesn't mean your problems have gone away and your anguish has gone away. But I also think this quote, like, really stood out to me because it's, like, I think we all in our lifetime have the death of a celebrity, whether or not you even felt like you mourned it, that like is in your brain like forever. And for me, like I remember watching on TV was Prince and Robin Williams. Like those are two that like really stood out to me that I remember people talking about. Like I remember watching TV and like these things happening. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, just to go back a little to, to like your point of people kind of being negative and weird and like very capitalistic about happiness is that Kurt Cobain's suicide note was made public and so people had access to Kurt Cobain having these same thoughts of him writing I've tried everything to appreciate it and I do but it's not enough I still can't get out of the frustration the guilt and the empathy I have for everybody and so this is the thing is it's like he was clearly struggling with like the whole I have the means I should be okay and he still wasn't okay and I feel like obviously it was 1994 like the mental health discussion was way more stigmatized especially around men but he was struggling and the people around him knew he was struggling and they were trying to help him and there just was like no help to be had and I think that this is why Like, when we were doing research, we were trying to find a lot more, like, personal essays and a lot more kind of information from people after they had time to think about these deaths. And there weren't any that we could really... Like, I'm sure that they exist on the ethers of the internet somewhere, but I just think that it is one of those things where you really need to search them out to find them because obviously people write about this stuff. But I think it's just that thing where people have a lot of thoughts and feelings when it first happens and then from there it moves to like a very fandom thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um because like Jenna was saying, like the conversation around celebrity death is always very weird and uh, there's a lot of outpouring at first and then it kind of quiets down and then it continues to really only affect those who really think about those artists cuz I just remember very vividly the day that Michael Jackson passed away, mostly because I was going to a Backstreet Boys concert at Jones Beach and we were listening to the radio and the music that was on the radio stopped so that they could make an announcement that Michael Jackson passed away and every single car in that parking lot, all the music stopped and at the same time, different radio DJs were making the announcement and it was like the eeriest thing ever. Yeah, so it was obviously at a time where people were still listening to the radio, But it was like a very weird thing where everybody was getting the same news at the same time. And I feel like that doesn't happen as often anymore because so many things are happening like on the internet and whatnot. So I feel like obviously there are tons of examples that we could bring up about 
celebrity deaths, more recent ones, like other older ones. But I feel like just to put into like perspective, those two of like I said, the difference between an accidental overdose later in life, a suicide during your prime, and also like the fan parasocial relationship between like Nirvana fans and Kurt Cobain and Elvis fans with Elvis like I feel like it's similar in a lot of ways that people wouldn't really think about so I feel like those are two like very good examples to discuss for this kind of conversation but also we can't like we said like have a discussion about grief and like grieving an artist without also acknowledging the whole breakup band hiatus sort of situation Because I feel like that's one of those things that you get more grief from the people in your life for grieving in the way that you would grieve the death of somebody. Yeah. Because people don't really get it. Like, which I think is funny because I feel like people literally grieve like TV shows being canceled. But I think like it's the fangirlness of it all. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't even have to say you know what I mean because you know what I mean. (laughs) It's the fangirlness of it all that, like, a band's breaking up, which, like, also is weird because, like, rock bands have always had, like, weird breakups or, like, members leave bands, and it was never really talked about in that way, but, like, for us, I think the most, like, obvious thing is, like, boy bands breaking up or taking a break or members leaving. Yeah. It's interesting because fangirls get so much grief for mourning when somebody leaves a group or a group stops making music or whatever the case is. I don't a hundred percent remember, but like Kevin left the Backstreet Boys for a little bit and that was like a whole thing. But like I said, it's like people will go up in arms and like start petitions and do all this stuff to bring TV shows back from like cancellation the like cancellation purgatory people get upset about tv deaths yeah i mean i have a lot of personal grievances about characters being killed on tv shows that's a whole other episode (laughs) that's a whole other thing (laughs) that's that's a patreon sort of situation to discuss but obviously the elephant in the room would be the one direction hiatus because we wouldn't be name three songs without bringing one direction our boys Without bringing them up, the whole Zayn leaving One Direction leading up to One Direction going on hiatus, I think, was a lot of people's first experience with death. (laughs) (laughs) The loss. The loss of a bandmate. I mean, based based off of the reaction on, like, Twitter and people talking on, like, TikTok and whatever about, like, where were you when Zayn announced he was leaving One Direction... It's basically like these people experience death for the first time, yeah. which I think is very interesting. So the anniversary of Zayn leaving was on March 25th, and we happened to post on our story, and I said, <laughs> how did y'all act slash feel when Zayn left? And we got a few responses, so I'm just going to read some of these. A lot of people were in high school, either like in class or in between classes, saying they had to leave the room to cry in the bathroom. There were multiple people who answered that. Somebody said it felt like it was the beginning of the end and they had to cry. Somebody said they saw it on their phone in econ and gasped and had to announce it to the class. I love that. So I think even though, because I said personally, I felt like it was coming. But for a lot of people, that didn't make it any less worse, you know? Like, it was still very real. And I just think also similar to what we were saying with being a moment in history of, like, Elvis's 
death being remembered of like the amount of girls who went through one direction hiatus breakup like we're gonna remember for this forever like we are the historians of this like this was like such a key thing in our life well i mean like people still on march 25th will tweet about zane leaving one exactly and it was at this point seven years ago Yeah. yeah like and it's just so funny. So when Zayn left One Direction, it was five days before my 23rd birthday. I was in England and I remember very, very vividly that all of the like tourist shops in London were like taking down the Zane paraphernalia from like their <gasps> One Direction. No. <laughs> like little, but like fa- uh, little thingies. <laughs> But fans would have rushed out to buy it for, like, memories time's sake. Like, limited edition now. Like, I feel like it would have been so funny if I had been friends with, like, other One Direction fans or whatever the case was. But I wasn't. But I just, I feel like there must have been somewhere that there was just, like, shrill screams, you know, like, coming from houses. Yeah. I remember I was in college and I went to meet up with my friends at like our study area. It was like a common room and we all just seen it on Twitter. We walked up and we're all disappointed. Not surprised, but disappointed. And it was that just mutual like, yeah, I don't even know how else to put it. A heavy sigh. A heavy sigh. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. But I think also it like for me, I was like, good for Zane. He deserves this. Like, the world is not very nice to him. He deserves a break. He deserves to go figure himself out. But for me, the thing that really fucked with me was him after being like, I'm taking a break from the spotlight. It's bad for my mental health. I love all of you, but I can't do this anymore. For him to come back with, like, solo stuff, like, three months later or whatever the case was, like, that... That affected me more because I was like a bitter little bitch. So like yeah. that's my own problem, and I should have just been like, whatever. Zane can like grieve, like how he want like grieve the way that the world treated him, how he wants to. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need to disappear from social yeah life. I mean, whatever. We've talked about One Direction a lot on this podcast. We've talked about Zane in the past. It never gets any easier. <laughs> but I think. For me, the thing that I am bitter about as a fan is in 2015 when he left, he told Page Six, I feel like it's been a bit different to when other bands have broken up or when a member has left or whatever. My band has been really supportive. They've been really cool about it and they understand that it's not real to me anymore. Totally fair. Totally nice. Totally amicable. And then when he did his Fader interview, uh, his first solo interview, and he was like, One Direction isn't cool music. I would never play it for a girl on a date. And then like... And, and since then has gone on to, like, do other things that kind of trashes One Direction, but also just saying, like, I never had a friend in One Direction. Like, that hurts for all of us. Like, I'm sorry that that's the way that Zayn feels. That really hurts for all of us. Well, is your friendship with Louis not real, Mr. Malik? How dare you? But on top of Zayn leaving, obviously we have the One Direction hiatus, which for a lot of people is still an open wound because that (laughs) band will never fucking admit that they broke up. And I feel like... (laughs) I forgot they announced it as a hiatus. I did not know recollection of that. I was just like, they broke up. They broke up. And then I read this back and they were like, it's not a breakup. We're not splitting up. It's just a hiatus. It's just time for us to work on our solo music. But I'm like, um, seven years later, I don't think that's happening. Like, you're talking to a girl who's like two favorite bands 
growing up went on hiatuses fallout boy and the early november and the early november came back in full force every band member like years later but they announced it as a hiatus of like oh like we're starting families like we're grown-ups now like we shouldn't be doing emo music right now and then they came back like ages later but they came back and same with fallout boy like fallout boy were kind of like we don't know what's going on they i think that they announced it as a hiatus that's how i remember it that's how a lot of the articles refer to it as they did solo music they started other ventures whatever the case is and then when they came back everybody was like no fucking way that was so much shorter than we thought it was gonna be incredible yeah um and so then when one direction announced the hiatus i was like cool can't wait to be like 27 and going to see One Direction. Yeah, yeah. So I also just earlier before recording this podcast, I put a poll on our Insta story to see what you guys thought about this. And I asked when the boys announced that it was a hiatus and not a complete breakup, did you believe it? And 65% thought it was the end, even though they said it's not the end. And then I asked, at the time when they announced this, did you think that by now, seven years later, they would have released music? Because I don't remember, like, having, like, a lot of thoughts or opinions on this. Like I said, I think I knew it was coming anyways. But I would have, if if they were going to do something, I think it would have happened by now. But that's also knowing what we know now. And so anyways, also 63% said no. They think that they would not have made music together by now at the time. Yeah. And then we have, will we ever get new 1D music? 61% said no. 29% said maybe. Only 9% said yes. You eight people who voted yes are very hopeful. (laughs) But you know what? I believe in you believing in One Direction. (laughs) Then I asked if you think we'll ever get a reunion performance or tour. I personally think this is very likely. At least once I think they're going to... Like every boy band ever has like reunited for some reason. Like I feel like they will just at some point for something random. I'm like, it's One Direction plus Zayn minus Liam. <laughs> um, Zane would be like, I'll come back, but Liam can't be there. I he said, if he ever you know sees what? those hands, I'll lose them. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, enjoy- Liam's having a hard time. We'll, we'll, we'll leave Liam alone. Um, but 52% said they think that there will be a reunion at some point, which like 50, so it's basically 50 50, which I'm like, yeah, I think, I think it's very likely. And then I asked if Zane would be a part of it, and 80% said no, 20% said yes. Yeah. And then I also asked if, anyone experienced grief around either of these two events and 64% said yes. Yeah. Like, I feel like all those numbers make a lot of sense. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the same consensus of like, yeah, yeah at some point we're going to have a reunion of some sorts. Like it, it's not possible not to, because I think at this point they're all kind of, I don't like, I don't know how to say it without like diminishing, like how much Harry has accomplished, but I feel like they're all, still as relevant to their fans in like different ways where like it wouldn't be a weird thing where they're like having some like one of them's kind of homeless like up on you know what i mean no like (laughs) please explain like it's it's not like they're going to have a situation where because like no matter what liam is doing like liam is still like he's still making music he's still like relatively successful in like his own he's still running his mouth to be famous liam kind of (laughs) way but he's not like showing up on like love island like he's not become like a d-list instagram celebrity don't hold your breath (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i said i was gonna be nice to liam 
But yeah, I just mean like I feel like a lot of times in like American culture, there's always like one member who like yeah, yeah. really, 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 really needs that reunion. Yeah. And while I do think that like <laughs> Liam really it's wants Zane. the reunion with his iPhone games. I don't know. I just feel like it, for One Direction, it would never be like this uncomfortable thing where everybody's like, oh, we're only doing this because Liam can't pay his bills. Yeah. No. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, obviously right now with like recent stuff Liam has said, it's kind of ugh. But yeah. I do, I think it's very, very, very likely in the future at some point. Yeah, for like something as special or important, like I feel like they would get back Twenty years from now, they're gonna do like a British Music Awards, like the Brits, (laughs) like surprise because there's a new there's a new cute boy band that like wants to take the stage with them or something like that. Like, (laughs) it'll happen. Like within boy bandom, it always happens. Yeah, but I think that obviously, like this One Direction hiatus was such a crazy thing that happened, and like clearly them not wanting to hurt their fans feelings by saying we're breaking up yeah that now whenever any group says anything that could make people think like oh my god we're gonna have another one direction situation the media goes fucking nuts and doesn't even think about journalistic integrity and just like runs amok and makes up a bunch of nonsense which we saw really recently with bts (laughs) which i think is really interesting because like i said like prior to one direction like i had lots of emo pop punk whatever sort of bands that i really liked be like we're going on hiatus and like you never really knew what it meant like people didn't really announce i feel like any band that i knew that has broken up or like stopped making music they kind of just like fell off the face of the earth like they never really announced it whereas like hiatuses get announced because there is that goal to come back yeah whereas i think with one direction there never was the goal to come back like i think most artists that i like when they announce a hiatus there is that goal to return yeah. and so i will i will pass the mic over to our k-pop expert to our explain what happened Army. with bts because i just saw like twitter in flames and yeah. i just like i couldn't even wrap my head around what was going on because one second it's announcing a hiatus and the next second it's being like oh they're going on summer vacation they already have like three thousand things in the works and then the yeah. next second all these fans are like posting in memoriams sort of things on Twitter and I'm like what the fuck is the truth so this is very funny to me like being on the inside for this one which like (laughs) honestly shout out to this podcast for getting me into k-pop because I can like talk about fandom experience for once so to set the stage when BTS did their four shows in LA which was this past December. It was end of November, early December. Right after that, literally like a week after, not even maybe, their company announced that BTS are taking like vacation time, basically. Like they're not expected to be doing promotions. We're not doing any official stuff. Like they're taking time from themselves, which like apparently in, this is my understanding in K-pop history and in BTS history does not happen very often. Like they've done this basically once before where they didn't have like work schedules. So that was kind of like a surprising thing, but also, they got personal Instagram accounts for the first time. So fans were like really exciting because like even though they had a they quote unquote had vacation time for themselves and fans were asked to give them space, they were still posting on Instagram anyways. So fans were like they, they didn't leave. So that's kind of like to set the stage. Then this video came out for their anniversary, which it was in early June. And they always do these big kind of like a state of the union type thing where they just like talk about like the past year and stuff, revisit. And so it was like this hour long like dinner party. And within that, Suga, one of the members of BTS, 
mentions, like, I guess we should probably talk about the hiatus. And mm-hmm. so because this word in English was translated to hiatus... That has like a totally different meaning. Stop it! Stop it! Was an English translation boo boo? Fuck off! It like it it. I don't know that like the translation was wrong. It's just that that word has very specific meaning in American English. So that's that's where this whole thing came from. Because that's incredible. Yeah. So the members were talking about like how they're taking time to work on their solo projects. And Namjoon, who's the leader of BTS, he was like getting really tearful because honestly, I think it's like a really big deal for them to like collectively agree, like, okay, we wanna like we still love BTS, we still wanna do PTS, but like we need a little space to like figure out ourselves. And like they had been living together for like 10 plus years. They finally just got their own apartments, houses, like within the last year like it's been a long time coming like they just need some mental time you know and so he got very emotional talking about this some of the members were very emotional because it's like they've spent every single day together for for like the past 10 years like it's been insane so it's not that it's really a hiatus as much as it is just like time which like saying it sounds exactly how One Direction described it (laughs) but the reason that I didn't believe it was a true hiatus is because they've already signed a seven-year contract with their label. Like, they re-signed a seven-year contract, which still has, like, six more years on it, I think, or five more years. So, like, they can't really go anywhere because they still have this huge contract. So that's, like, one thing that I, like, I wasn't freaking out about. And so the second thing is that because of this translation hiatus, fans started freaking out because they weren't, like, they weren't 100% sure what it it meant. But to me, it's like, well, they were already kind of doing this. Like, they already took some vacation time. Like, we already know, like, Hobie's gonna play, J-Hope is gonna play Lollapalooza. Like, there have been these breadcrumbs along the way. And so then because fans are freaking out on Twitter, journalists started tweeting things like, breaking! BTS is going on hiatus which like obviously has a very American context Mm -hmm. to it and like how you just described hiatuses of like because One Direction called it a hiatus they broke up everyone's like they're gonna break up and like their stocks plummeted I think it was like by 1.7 million or something like really crazy so like so actually according to this billboard article by Glenn Rowley in 2022 the Hybe stock dropped 28% in South Korea following BTS's festive dinner party video causing the company to lose 1.7 billion dollars in market value all right billion not million guys billion so literally insane stuff happening yeah um so then a bunch of damage control had to happen number one hybe like immediately came out and was like it's not like they're not breaking up they're not going anywhere like they're just taking some time to work on solo projects like they still have bts things scheduled and their work schedules like they're still doing their uh variety show together which is called run bts like they're still gonna be Mm -hmm. filming that together They're just not putting out a new album anytime soon. So Hybe did damage control. Then Jungkook went on VLive, which is like their live streaming platform. And he was like, you guys, it's not a hiatus. Like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Like, this is nonsense. Where did did you even get that idea? (laughs) And then Namjoon, again, their leader, went on Weavers to like write this really long message about how like that moment where he got really sentimental was being clipped and like passed around on Twitter. And Mm. so then everyone was just like feeding off that being like, oh, he's crying. They're breaking up. And like, that wasn't the intent at all. And like the fact that all of this happened in their anniversary hour long video Like, this video was for fans. Like, this was a conversation for fans. And the media just started, like, picking pieces apart and, like, dissecting it. Like, like, they're breaking up. So, anyways, very long story, but BTS are not going anywhere. They're just doing (laughs) some solo work right now. (laughs) Inclusion. I just, like, can't get over the fact that 
fangirls specifically like boy band fangirls or just like fans of this type of music have such bad ptsd from like one direction going on hiatus and like not meaning a hiatus because they basically broke up that they like reacted to like such an extreme way you know because it's just like i was just seeing all these tweets of just people going through literally every stage of grief and it was just like so insane to me so it's good to know like the actual story of it that there was like a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding between like fans and yeah like western fans specifically and people from another country and like words having different meanings and all that sort of stuff but i just love that they're all like oh my god we have to do damage control like there's so much we have to fix like we don't want our fans being upset and yeah yeah that was basically the sentiment but it is just very funny that it's like that one word that one word in like western english context means something like entirely different (laughs) (laughs) even armies will joke about like remember when bts went on the shortest hiatus ever of five hours before like their company tweeted so yeah pretty funny yeah so obviously we all have a lot of baggage to unload about the whole grief when it comes to hiatus situation because i know we're all kind of still dealing with one direction nonsense because liam Payne will never let us forget anything and i know that there's been some recent stuff with like catfish and the bottleman and one of the members like finally coming out and being like yeah i left the band like a while ago so there's that whole thing and like the bts quote-unquote hiatus or whatever the hell is going on there like i mean they literally signed on to like another seven-year contract that they've only done one year of so i mean they have to make more music like (laughs) there's no way in hell that they're just gonna get out of that without creating anything so i mean for our listeners we would love to hear from you guys to hear about like your journeys of grief whether that be from losing an artist that you really love or having a group that you love disband or go on hiatus or whatever the case is because I know like we all have different stories of this and it's always good to share and talk about those things and like deal with them with people who understand where you're coming from so yeah we're always here for you to discuss and you can come reach out to us on social media if you'd like to we are at name three songs on instagram and twitter or if you have any personal grievances or love or thoughts and feelings that you'd like to share with us personally i'm at sarah underscore fagan on social media or jenna at jenna underscore million so thanks for joining us this week on name three songs and until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to mourn the end of your favorite band don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name3songs.com with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.